I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week you have me, you have Leo. It's hard to hear you on a podcast. <laughs> the mute button. Hi. Yeah. And Chris. <laughs> What's up, people? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we're only 70 episodes in and we're still learning how the mute button works. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and as usual, we have a guest this week. It's a touch screen, um, man. <laughs> um, this week, I would think you could call this guy one of two things, either Paul Bunyan or the new Grizzly Adams. So if you're old like me, you understand the old Grizzly Adams show. Uh, if you don't, you should Google it. It was a great show, and it was a guy whose best friend was Ben the Bear. Um, I feel like our guest this week blocks the sun from hitting power lines. Um, high tension power lines at that. So he's someone that spends, uh, seems to spend most of his time outside. He's a mountain of a man. Let's welcome Josh Freilich to the show. What's up, people? Happy New Year. <laughs> hey, thanks hey, for the, uh, thanks for the warm introduction. <laughs> oh, you're quite welcome. If I missed anything, you can take a moment, and this is where you can add it in. I was going to say, no, guy I would with say, buffalo. Uh, yeah, yeah. We don't have buffalo in Minnesota. We have bears. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly some uh, lumberjacking going on back in the timber as I clear some of the forest. So Paul Bunyan, uh, that was appropriate. I think uh, I've been, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've shaved my beard in about eight and a half years. So uh, I've been going for that look. It's about time I get uh, some some credit for it. So that's good. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were a bigger guy, but when I approached Nationals about being on the podcast and I walked up to you, I was like, my God, he's a lot bigger when I walk up to him than he looks further away. <laughs> like, holy cow, this guy's huge. Yeah, I'm like six one and a half, two fifty, and and uh, all of my competition is like 5'9", so I'm always trying to chase all these little dudes around to keep up. But it's fun. I like it. Okay. I believe it. Um, so, Josh, what we normally do uh, is we start off with five more personal questions, kind of get to okay. know the guest, and then we yep. get into the interrogation portion of it. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. <laughs> All right. So, Leo's going to start us off. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so first, first one we, we always start with is your favorite movie. So Josh, what is your favorite movie? That's, that's, uh, I don't watch a ton of TV. Um, I'm like you said, I'm always outside, which I am. Uh, but with that said, uh, one of the classics and I'll still watch it probably, I don't know, every other year is fight club. Um, I, I'm, I, I loved that movie when I was when it first came out, and uh, it's 
still one of my favorites. I'll I'll watch it from time to time when I'm sitting around on a nasty Saturday or something like that. So uh, I'm a, a retired MMA fighter from like that's what I did during college is I fought. That was how I paid. Uh, you know, the uh, the rent as a college kid. All my buddies had, like, delivery jobs, delivering pizzas, and I was like, nope, not going to do that. Nope, I don't want to go to the bar. Uh, so ever since uh, that whole fight community thing, when that movie came out, I was like, that's my jam. I like that. That's cool. That, I mean, that makes sense. It's very appropriate given the uh, <laughs> the, the side hustle. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. that guy, it's based on a book, and that guy – wrote another book called choke which became a movie not as famous yeah. as fight club but yeah. since the first rule of fight club is not to talk about fight club we're not gonna talk about it anymore <laughs> but good choice good choice yeah yeah all right huggy you're up hold on okay look at me hit the mute button <laughs> uh, Got it. so yeah so what is your favorite book uh well same kind of deal i don't i don't i don't do much indoor activity but i, I i'm actually uh um, I'm, I'm a christian so the about the only book i read is the is the bible it's a good book and i spend a little time on that on a regular basis um you know i uh i, I listen to some audiobooks here and there stuff like that uh, from time to time on like strategy and on uh, marketing and sales and on shooting and to do some podcast stuff, you know, some of that, but for actual sitting down at a table and reading a book, uh, it's a good book. That's probably what I spent the most time on. Well, I tell you, that is a good book. And I'm telling you, as big as you are, the good Lord saying, like, Hey, if you gonna wrestle some bears, I'm gonna make you a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> so all right so the next question is if you had to pick a character a superhero who would your super favorite superhero would be besides underdog <laughs> uh, well i always thought superman was the boss i mean i was like everybody else has got you know halfway powers this dude can fly he's got lasers coming out of his eyeballs i mean i like shooting red dots right i'm right. high guns can you imagine just if your eyes just shot i was like wow you know that guy can do it all not only that but he can change in like that fast in the phone booth and you know i'm like that's that guy's the boss so i guess that'd be the i'd take all of his skills be there fine. you go i mean i i, I still Jury's still out on underdog, but Superman's a good choice. Um, all right, so we're going to start easing into the, the tougher questions. So I hope you're ready for this, especially since okay. we're outdoors all the time. What is your yeah. favorite gun and what is your favorite caliber? And they do not have to be the same. Whew, okay. Uh, well, I would say um, my favorite gun, and this is not because it's the coolest or anything, but it's because I just got it and I was on this search for it for years. Uh, I'll give you a little context. When I was a little boy, I'd go to my grandpa's farm, uh, his tobacco farm in the summer. And if I was good and worked and like picked rock and all that for, you know, like half the day, he would pay me in 410 shotgun shells. So he would give me a couple of shells. I could go shoot gophers, do whatever I wanted. And he had this old single action bolt action uh, 410 shotgun that that was like the gun that I thought about all school year like I want to go to grandpa's and shoot some some gophers with it 
and uh, so I he, he's long since passed. Uh, and so th- that gun went on to who knows who and like three, four, five people. And uh, this year I was able to track that down. The original gun that, as a 10-year-old boy, uh, started kicking in this passion for firearms in me. Uh, and I I was able to buy what's probably like a $39 bolt-action 410. It cost me a couple hundred bucks because he knew I wanted it. Uh, but, you know, to me, that's that's the gun. And it's rusty. It's not restored, uh, but I'm going to kill something with it next year uh, for the kitchen table, and, uh, you know, it's going to be good. So that, that's the one. If I'm in there, I'm like, this is the prize. This is the gun that without it, I probably wouldn't do what I do today, uh, and it's worth all of about 40 bucks. You know, it's a, it, it's nothing special. It's just some but, generic old bolt-action shotgun. Uh, but the sentimental then, value uh, is priceless. It's a, it's unbelievably priceless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know that that gun. You know, again, I tracked that bad boy down. It took me a while. Uh, and then the caliber. I'm I'm really a probably a, a nine millimeter guy. Uh, I've got you know I shoot pistol caliber carbine. I've got you know like I've probably got I don't know I've got I don't want to say gun numbers. I got a lot of guns in nine mil. So if I could only have one thing. I can shoot my PCCs out to a couple hundred yards with it and uh, hammer it with some, you know, defensive loads. I could hunt with the dang thing. I can defend myself with it. Uh, nine millimeter would probably be, if I could only have one caliber, that would be the thing. I could do all the stuff I want to do with it. Well, I'm going to make sure that, I want to make sure that we, uh, uh, kind of, we have to probably uh, take out the part that you're shooting gophers being up there in Minnesota and in, in like the gold, golden <laughs> gophers. I'm like, uh, you, can't be shoot, you can't be shooting a mascot up there. Uh, that's one thing you might find about me is I do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cartman. In my body, I do what I want. <laughs> All right, so question number five, we normally make a little bit more personal. And I know that you're, you teach, you do some classes up there on your farm and yep. you call it F5. Now that's yep. also the highest category of tornadoes. Is, <laughs> is that yep. why you called it that? No, actually it's not. Uh, I did see that and I was like, well, you know, we got plenty of energy, so maybe that would apply, but uh so F5 is Freilich Firearms, which is my company. Uh, we do marketing, consulting, training, uh, R&D work, things like that for a bunch of different companies around the industry. So Freilich Firearms, okay. uh, farm, field, and forest. Those are three different divisions of the company that all happen to be tax write-offs. So we have our farm, which we, we do all the things for the wildlife, which is just food plots, things like that. Field, which is the hunting piece of the business, because I do some uh, high-end executive paid hunts here and then forest we're part of the forestry department uh here in the u.s and so i'm like not and i actually originally had six f's on there but then i was thinking about meaning behind it and the meaning behind f5 if on the keyboard f5 means refresh and it's like i come to the farm to refresh i'm like so it's f5 that's what it is uh, and so that's where we came up with the meaning of it. And that's what all of the F's are in the name. Well, cool. That's yeah. pretty neat. So it was just coincidence that it's a 
category of tornadoes too. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, you we're dangerous. You know, that's fair. Uh, yeah. Know, that's the goal, right? <laughs> now, the, the other half of this, I, I saw that you were an MMA fighter. Yep. So what weight division did you weigh 250 back then? No, Big. no. Big. Yeah, so I was I was middleweight. Uh, so, you know, I was in so that 185 pound. Yeah. And uh, it took me a lot to get there. I still walked around at like 205. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like some UFC dude. Like I was the local. I'd fight at like the Civic Center and, you know, like we called it like the battle at the barn, you know, like these it'd get, you know, 3000 spectators and a bunch of local dudes. And as long as you weren't drunk, you could fight, you know, and that was pretty much the show. But, you know, I loved it. I trained hard. I took it more serious than those guys did. And so on the local circuit, I was successful and I made a few bucks doing it enough, at least, you know, college kid money um, where it was a it was a better job than delivering pizzas is the way I looked at it. And, you know, I got to do something cool. Yeah, because, you know, getting punched in the face is way better than delivering a pizza. Uh, yeah, obviously, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Don't say silly things, Dave. Uh, obviously, that's the case. All right. So you, <laughs> yeah. Do you uh, do you follow MMA at all today, or or no? Casually, yeah. Casually, you know, when there's a bunch of hype around some of the fights that are coming up, uh, you know, I'll, I'll certainly watch them. I, I think, you know, I always played sports. I played football. I played baseball. I wrestled. I fought, but I don't like follow really any of those things. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a doer. Uh, and so like, that's part of just my personality is I would rather go do a thing than watch a thing. And so it's, it's real hard for me to, to stay engaged and interested very long in things that I'm not actively participating in. So if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm in it, and like, you know, for instance, like if there was live match coverage of the guys that I'm going to compete with in a month, I'd watch that because that's relevant to what I do and relevant to like something I'm actively going to participate in. I want to see how they're competing. I want to see what level they're shooting at these days. I would do that. But like for the most part, if I do watch sporting events of any kind, it's it's more about the community of the people that I'm around that are enjoying it with me, the high energy, like I like that kind of stuff. Cause at least then, you know, like I can stay engaged. It's fun. You know, like it is fun to get a group of people together and watch the fights. I do enjoy that, but no, I, I don't watch it too closely. I will say uh, while I'm uh, doing some work on social media or something, uh, I'll have a fight or a big knockout pop up and I'm like, woo, like, <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, it's cool. I just don't invest a ton of time into it. I gotcha. What um, I want to know since you're from Minnesota is how much curling do you watch? Curling. <laughs> None. <laughs> no, I, I did see uh, a picture out. of the U S dude with the mustache and the, the long hair. And I was like, that yeah. dude's cool. I like that guy. He is who he wants to be. Yeah. I, I can watch women's curling all day. Not gonna lie, Swedes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like, sorry, pork, pork, pork. it's yep, the, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, that's like the winter version of the Swedish bikini team. I mean, it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you make it to Shot Show? No, this is the first year in a long time. I didn't get down there. Uh, I usually go with Vortex, 
and then I run around and I'll head over to Federal's booth and JP's and a few other good partners. Uh, but this year Vortex didn't go, and so I was like, well, I don't know. I, I talked to Federal and a couple other companies, and I just asked them if they really needed me at this one since it sounded like, uh, you know, I, I, little change of pace from normal so they were they were happy with uh if i came or if i didn't and so i just skipped it this year and we've got a lot of projects on the farm so um and i was trying not to travel too much anyway that weekend was um a big mma weekend but it was in california and taryn butler was there and josh barnett was with him so i got okay. to meet josh barnett cool yeah that dude yeah that was that was bone yeah, that, that's another big dude. But yeah, he's yeah, uh, very, yeah. It was pretty cool. I mean, just very uh, laid back and down to earth. Uh-oh. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm frozen on my screen. It's kind of weird. <laughs> All good. Uh, Audio is fine. And Andre Arlovsky was there too at the Canic booth, but somehow I missed him. So. Got it. Those dudes, both of those dudes are savages. Uh, Josh Barnett will tear your limbs off, uh, and Arlovsky will knock you in the next week. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> two two bad dudes right there. Yeah, and and I'm sure you know Nils Jonasson, and they they posted a picture of Nils next to him, and it's the first time I think I've ever seen anybody next to Nils taller than him. I was like, oh, Nils has to look up to somebody. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so you were saying you really got interested in shooting when, at your grandpa's farm. Yep. About, about how old were you at that time? Yeah, from like 10, 9 or 10 until probably 13. We'd go out there and, and work on the farm. And, you know, I mean, all in over a few years, I probably shot 30 rounds. You know, it's not like I did a oh, lot man. of shooting there. It was just, you know, I'd get a shotgun shell or two if we were really good. Uh, and so that was the, you know, that was the reward. So if you, if you look at, you know, like that's how you, you wire people, right? You, you reward them in a certain way, uh, whatever that is. And then that becomes a reward mechanism for potentially the rest of your life. And so for me, my early reward mechanism was if I'm really good, I get to shoot guns. Uh, and so like, I think that still applies where I'm like, man, I got to get all this life stuff done in a good way so I can go and execute on the range. And, uh, so I'm sure it wasn't intentional. He wasn't a big shooter or anything, but like, I think that helped to wire me in, in probably the way that I'm wired today to see shooting as a, like, that is the result of hard work. You get to go shoot. Like that's, that's the bonus at the end. You know, that's dessert after you ate your dinner. Uh, you know, that's the good stuff. So um, that's when I started. And then I didn't I didn't shoot much. Uh, they shut down the tobacco farm. We stopped working out there around that time. And I probably shot, you know, four or five times over the next five, six, seven years. I just didn't shoot much. Went out with my brother a couple of times. He was into guns and uh, didn't get back into guns until I was married. I mean, I, I was... Uh, maybe 23 years old. I lived in a little subdivision, uh, had my day job, white collar day job, all that stuff. And one of the neighbor's houses got burglarized. And I was like, that's stupid. If that happens here, uh, I want to be able to protect my new young family. I'm like, I'm going to get a pistol. And so went and got a pistol 
went and shot it a little bit, realized I was terrible. <laughs> I was bad. I couldn't hit anything. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that, uh, like, I've been proficient at things, and that was not one of them. And so I was like, I, you know, if I'm going to have this gun at the house, I'm going to get good with it because I'm going to feel pretty stupid if I went out to all this trouble to have this tool in the house some dude breaks in and I can't do anything about it, even with this thing. And so I went and learned how to shoot. And uh, I'm a junkie for anything that makes me feel good. And so uh, I uh, I ended up getting like 14 of those Remington golden bullet buckets of bullets. So it's like 1,400 rounds. I got 14 of the 1,400-round buckets of the dirtiest, you know, old-school 22 you could get. And I got uh, an Advantage Arms 22 long rifle kit for my Glock 17, so I could just run 22 in that same gun, and I shot all of it in like one summer, and became super proficient with that pistol. Uh, and it was at that point that I heard about competition. Uh, I had a guy at a gun store tell me there was this a match that weekend. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is what is a match? He's like, it's a there's a competition shooting event, and you can just bring whatever you've got and go shoot it. I was like, okay, I'll, that sounds awesome. I'll go do that. So I shot an IDPA match, and I, I hit all the targets. That was no problem. Those targets were pretty close anyway. Um, but, like, I didn't do it fast, and, and there was a dude there that did it fast. And that was probably one of the most exciting things. I was like, I want to do what that guy just did because it, it's my buddy now, Andre DeSantel. He works at JP. Uh, he shoots – he's a top five – PCC guy in the country um, consistently, and like he was shooting his Glock 17 in whatever division uh, that was in IDPA, and he was just crushing, you know, shooting like national level uh, dude at this local. I'm like, all right, all right, I know that's what I want to do. So now I need to learn how to not only hit things but hit them fast. And so I've been on a journey for about eight and a half years since that match to. Uh, not only hit things, but hit them fast. Uh, and I've been training hard every week, ever since, shooting lots of matches, training a lot. Wow. So it's, you've been in the business now eight and a half years of competition. Something like that. 2013, 2014. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I first got started. And, uh, you know, that first couple of years I shot a match every week. You know, uh, indoor matches over the winter up here. Any match that was in town, I just I just shot them all. So I shot a couple hundred matches that first couple of years before I even started traveling. And then, you know, since then it's dialed back. The, you know, I think last year I probably shot 40 matches with uh, 15 on the road traveling and then the rest of them locals. So I still shoot quite a bit, shoot quite a bit of matches, but not quite what I used to. Gotcha. Now, I take it you started in production then? Uh, well, no, it was actually, uh, so, uh, what, what was it? Production. Yeah, I did start in production for USPSA when I came over from IDPA. I shot that 17 a little bit. Uh, I had, uh, then I went to a 35 and shot uh, limited with a Glock 35, long slide 40 cal. And then uh, I built an open Glock out of my Glock 17 uh, and put a, a carver comp on it, put a frame mount uh, sideways Seymour over the top, like the raced out Glock. This, wow. This raced out as you could go. 
Uh, it was funny though, because if you pushed on the on the gas pedal. Uh, on the plastic frame, it would flex the whole optic, and your point of impact would change. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I shot that all year, put forty thousand rounds of nine major through an open Glock before I bent that frame like a shoe. Looks like an old shoe; it's just bent up like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, I still like got that. surprised. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Holy cow! <laughs> That's just two things uh, that you said that made me really happy was 40 cal and open Glock. Yeah, I mean, just saying, you gotta, you gotta uh, last your last $300 gun, let's make it an open gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's an yeah, achievement. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it was something. Uh, the, the funny part is, you know, when if you've done that before, which a lot of people have, actually. A lot of people are like, ah, oh, I'm just going to do this, buy this one part. Then you buy another part, and then you buy another part, and all in, you know, I was like twenty four hundred bucks on a on a Glock, and it's like I could have bought a cheap old twenty eleven for that, or you know, something different, and you know, and eventually I did after I couldn't get that gun to work anymore. I got my first twenty eleven pistol and been shooting those ever since. Okay, so at what point? Yeah, it's the buy one scar one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is that what you switched to from the Glock then? You switched to a 2011? Yeah, yeah, I tried a few things there. Uh, I, I shot a Tang Folio that my buddy had for a couple weeks. I shot a 2011, borrowed it from a buddy for a couple weeks, uh, and went to it that 2011 at that time. I don't even, it was some old custom built from like the 80s that I shot for a little while. And then I got uh, Steel Master, which you're not supposed to run major through, and I ran major through it for like seven months. And I did pretty much all the things you're not supposed to do or you wouldn't recommend to somebody else to do. I did all those things and uh, eventually got, you know, an appropriate nine major rated gun that I could run major through consistently and uh, shot that for, you know, a couple more years, shot an Atlas gun for a while. And that was that was good. So are you the reason we have all those jokes now where it's like, here, you can't do those here, hold my beer? (laughs) Perhaps, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, tried all the things. So what point did you decide you were going to switch to PCC like full time? Yeah, well, so I'm full time on that here and there, but I still shoot three gun majors. I shoot open division shotgun, tactical shotgun, ipstick shotgun matches. Uh, I shoot AK matches. I shoot PCC and I shoot a lot of local pistol matches. And and the only reason I don't shoot more like traveling around the country pistol matches is, uh, I don't have a gun or a division that it makes that I fit in. So like I shoot 2011s for staccato and I shoot federal factory ammo. So I shoot a 2011 with minor doesn't fit it's nowhere mm-hmm. right it doesn't belong in the uspsa game and so locals i shoot you know with all my local gms here in minnesota uh i race those guys shooting minor with my slide ride 2011s and that's fun it's a good fight up here doing that playing that game i'd love to if that became a division where let's say carry optics heavy or something like that not that i'm promoting it but if it did i would shoot it i would i'd be first guy in line and i'd shoot six or seven majors, you know, throughout the year with that gun. I just, 
you know, they're good partners, right? I, like I, I want, I don't want to switch partners on either level. And because of that, I, uh, I don't participate in the pistol games, but I like USPSA. And so, uh, I started shooting pistol caliber carbine when, uh, that became a thing because before that I didn't shoot any USPSA majors because they didn't have a, they didn't have a division for me to play in. And so once, PCC became a thing. I was like, well, this is great. I shoot for JP, uh, you know, federal. We, we spun up a, a dedicated pistol caliber carbine nine millimeter load that was tuned for the JPs, like just super sweet shooting. And, uh, you know, like it made a lot of sense for me to just shoot that division because I wanted to play the game. It's a big organization. Obviously, USPSA has a lot of members, a lot of matches, lots of great shooting opportunities. So I was like, well, uh, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do it? And, you know, so that I focus on it now from July through October each year. Um, you know, the first half of the year I shoot three-gun. Uh, you know, I've got three-gun majors, three or four of them. And then uh, the middle of the year I end up transitioning to carbines and I run and race AKs uh, at the big AK matches around the country and uh, PCC uh, in USPSA that second half of the year. Okay. Oh, wow. So are, yeah. do you do the multi-gun as well? Or, like, are you going to do the yep. two-gun? Okay. I, I won't do two-gun this year simply because it's on the same weekend as my the biggest major in Minnesota. We've got the uh, Vortex JP Trigun, the Trigun event that we have up here for, for three-gun. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest three-gun matches in the country. It's, I don't know, 40 minutes from my house. It's pretty perfect. So... Uh, I won't travel for that one, but I will. I'll shoot USPSA Multigun Nationals here in March. That's my first major of the year. Uh, so I'll go down to, I think it's in South Carolina, North Carolina, something like that, and uh, shoot three-gun with USPSA. Okay. Now, when you shoot three-gun, what, what three guns do you use? Yeah. So I run that staccato. Uh, so it's, a, it's called the XC. It's a slide ride 2011 with a little baby comp meant for minor and i run my 170 mags in it so i've got you know 29 rounds on board of nine uh minor in a 2011 shoot super sweet nice Uh, yeah for shotgun i shoot a distant arms so a distant arms vepper malat it's an ak shotgun so i've got 20 round shotgun mags for that bad boy um that thing's fun (laughs) if you haven't run one of those you should because uh, they are silly, uh, you know, they're pretty nice. And then uh, I run JP's, uh, their new SCI 20, which is uh, super sweet shooting, uh, 223, 18-inch uh, AR-15. Okay. Now, the, the Dissident Arms uh, shotgun, that's the one that looks like it's got the AK mag. Yeah. Curved? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I have seen yeah, you big, shooting that thing. Yeah, that's... They're cool. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. I mean, that—that's what I. Uh, that if I, you know, I don't shoot much for tube guns. I don't have much interest in that. I, you know, same kind of deal. I just I want to go fast with guns and hit things. And so I'm like, well, if I can stuff a new twenty rounder in the bottom of it instead of like, you know, two at a time through the tube, uh, I think that's the division for me. You know, I might as well shoot the fast gun, shoot the gun yeah. that holds all the bullets. You know. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, um, you were the 2018 Ipsic World Shotgun 
champion, correct? Yep, yep, that was pretty cool. Uh, first Ipsic match I ever shot, and a lot of those guys from the other countries don't like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's uh, we trained pretty hard. I mean, I, I shot a pallet of shotgun shells uh, in the spring of 2018, and then uh, we did a, a Lucas Oil shotgun series here in the U.S. to prepare us to go over there where we shot pretty similar to Ipsic style with a, maybe a little bit different scoring and a bunch of us that went competed in all the events and, um, you know, it went well, you know, I mean, I'm again, if you think about a gun that I'm built to shoot fast, it's 12 gauge shotgun, you know, I'm, I'm almost six, two, I'm two fifty, uh, and I can run a trigger pretty fast. So like the gun doesn't push me around at all. I can run it real hard and be on target the whole time. And, you know, it's a piece of cake and the guns are bigger kind of heavy and so a lot of the smaller guys in those in that game you know like it serves me well to be able to run around with that shotgun like it is a pistol and that's how i move with those guns and a lot of the smaller guys just can't do it so they have to do things that aren't as efficient or fast uh with the shotguns and so i just found you know that that's an area that i can excel it's real easy uh, to excel in that space, shooting open shotgun. I'm just built for it. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're definitely built yeah. for it. I know when you probably go there, those little guys are looking at you like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We're only going to talk shit behind his back, not to his face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in French. Right. And they're all probably looking like, which division is he in? Is he in like the big boy division? No. He in our division? No. <laughs> So I yeah, take well, it nobody okay. shooting. It's flipped the other way everywhere else I go. I go shoot PCC, and like I said, I'm shooting with all these little dudes, uh, and you know they're, they're these fast little dudes with good footwork. And I'm like, man, you know, I got to work twice as hard on my movement and all of those things, and I have to do everything perfect to keep up with some dude that's 100 pounds lighter than me. Um, shooting a nine millimeter with no recoil, you know, it takes no. You know, like anybody can manage that recoil. It's not a big deal. You know, so that it, it is funny how that plays out where it's like I walk into those matches. I'm like, all right, which little dudes are running around here that I got to try to keep up with? And I go to a shotgun match and they're like, ah, Josh is here. And uh, shoot. So it just depends what game you're playing that weekend. Well, I got to watch you guys shoot. Um, I think it was stage six at last year's nationals where you started on the right and then you moved across. It's the one where you had to go, you had to shoot two quick targets at the edge with a wall. And then you ran outside of the stage and back in, I think it was stage six. And I swear uh, all of you guys and the women that were shooting, you know, Williams, Linda Turnbull, uh, Lena, everybody was fast on that stage. I was like, my gosh, everybody's <laughs> running around like one arm in that gun and running around. I was yep. like, mm, that's crazy. You guys are freaking quick. So I know what you mean. Cause yeah, you were definitely the, the biggest guy there. And there were yeah. a lot of shorter, fast, quick people you have to deal with. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I got to make it up somewhere. So I, you know, what I've ended up learning how to do is, 
Uh, I, I do a lot of lower body explosive movement work so that I can get out of position fast. So like I have to build strength where they just stay skinny. Like I, I gotta, I gotta actually be explosive mm-hmm. and have a ton of power in my movement because I, I need every bit of it. So you'll see things like when I leave a position, I throw the gun out in front of me uh, and like pump my arm with the long gun. Uh, stuff like that allows me to get my momentum moving. I've got way more momentum I need to get out yeah. of my spot. So if I throw an eight pound gun out there and pull myself ahead with it, you know, stuff like that helps me get out of the hole faster. And the only problem is now all these little dudes are starting to do the same things. And so I'm like, dang it. Like, uh, I had that for like a minute as my, my you gave that's them how the I caught key. up. Yeah. <laughs> Science uh, backfired. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, kind of. So are you going to compete at the next Ipsic Shotgun World Championship if they ever have it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. It, so, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I know what it takes to win that. Uh, and I know what it means. So like a big part of what I do now is one, I shoot things that I enjoy. I do enjoy shotgun. Um, but I also try to add as much value for my, my partners as I can. Um, you know, partners like distant arms and federal and vortex that, uh, they, they're all like on that platform right? That shotgun platform. But if you look at where those guys sell product, federal doesn't ship over there. They ship here in the U S um, you know, vortex does a lot of business over there, but Disson arms is a U.S. company too. And so it's like, if I win it for the same budget, I can shoot five U S championships with that platform. And those companies, uh, will do way better. I mean, it costs 20 grand to go to France and shoot that match, you know? And so it's like, okay, um, I can either do that, uh, or I can shoot five things in the U S talk to 300 potential, uh, buyers for, you know, you know, that's what I do on the range. I talk to people like that's, that's my job is hang out and get to know the community and let them try into cool guns and stuff like that. And it's like, when I'm over there, I am, it's a cool thing. There's no question about it. Um, but like now that I did it, I'm going, no, no, not sure if I go back. Uh, time will tell. Um, but I do know that my focus for that entire year, if I want to win it again, which I'm not going back if I'm not planning to win, is I have to put all the other guns aside for like seven months before I go. So that I'm just a surgeon on that shotgun because that is what it takes. You know, um, it's not just running it fast. Like, the funny thing about shooting shotgun at that level is, like, you know, if you're shooting rifle, you got to know what the reticle means at all the distances. Mm-hmm. You got to understand how your rifle uh, bullet drop happens. You got to get how BC works in the wind. Like, you need to have rifle dope locked into your brain to shoot rifle well. Well, shotgun's the same thing. People don't realize that. So, in an IPSC world level shotgun match, I need to understand how my pattern expands with every yard uh, of distance away from the muzzle because in IPSC they have targets that are half covering another target at 25 yards. So if I'm shooting with my open shotgun, I'm aiming at that point with a mod choke nine inches off the left side of the target so that the edge of my pattern hits the target I want to knock over but not the no-shoot. You know, and so it's like there's just as much uh, shotgun dope that you have to know 
and just have instinct to be able to just shoot without even really thinking too much about. So there, you just got to be so sharp to, to play that game. And I get it. Like, I've done it. I know what it takes. And I'm just like, man, I'm, I would, I'd have to give it another seven months to get my – because I'm not there now. You put me on a shotgun, it's like I still know that. I still know where my, where my pattern is at that, you know, 25 yards. But, like, I have to come up and think about it a little bit. Like, that split second, mm. that second place, you know, where right. when you're really tuned in, you just look and shoot. Uh, you don't even think you're just you're just pulling triggers and getting everything right and and so like skeet. I don't know we'll, yeah we'll see yeah we'll see yeah when you're we'll when you've been shooting a lot of skeet you know exactly where your leads are without thinking about it yep yep so, yeah I, so, I talk you know some of the guys don't get it that don't shoot much and I'm like well think about it like this when you get into your car in the dark you don't have to turn a light on to put the key in the ignition right but okay so you can just get in and just do that because you do it every day. Right, you do it literally every day. It's a normal movement. You don't need to look down at the brake when you slam on the brakes. Like you just do all the things in the car because you drive all the time. Well, same deal on these guns. It's like, well, if I do it a little bit every day, uh, you know, all of a sudden now it's just I'm just doing it on instinct. And if my practice was at a high level every day, that means I'll compete at a high level when I'm at the match. And so it's it's really it's about reps and time behind the guns uh, to be you know to be world-class at some of those things and so i know what it takes and so i'm like oh man i've had that question a lot and i'm like maybe <laughs> maybe i'll go we'll see or i'll shoot five matches here in the u.s for the same budget one of the two yeah that's uh well and i mean you're into marketing obviously so one of the biggest yeah. things with marketing is getting the biggest bang for your buck if you're trying to market something that's right so if that's yeah. not the biggest bang for your buck then i i get why you may not do it again um but what so what ammo are you shooting when you're competing at those matches meaning what uh, type federal. of shell uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah everything uh so there's birdshot that's used stuff like your trap loads you know handicap trap loads something with a decent decent load and then uh also decent velocity knock over steel at distance something with a good consistent pattern trap loads will usually have that uh, and then uh, buckshot, uh, we'll run buckshot on stages too, and some of that's on paper, like uh, like USPSA style target paper, where they'll have scoring zones, and you've got to get three in the alpha to get your alpha, or you've got to get you know three in the alpha or five in the Charlie, you know, to get you know to get your hits, and then uh, slugs as well. So slugs out to 50, 60 yards on paper, alpha Charlie Delta scoring. Uh, in Ipsic there, yeah. So you got to know all the okay. all the platforms with all the chokes with, uh, and then they don't let you have the modern tech. That's the, that was a bummer. So Federal makes flight control. Flight control wad does all the work for you, right? So you don't have to mess with chokes and all of that kind of stuff very much. Uh, well, we, flight control is illegal in Ipsic because only the U.S. has it because it's patented or, oh, or something. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, they're like, no, no, you can't bring that fancy stuff. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh wow. Let me get my. Yeah, let me I, get a muzzle. I'm not familiar with. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with flight control. Oh yeah, it's a wad that simply holds the load together uh, significantly longer. So you run like an IC choke or anything that you don't want to choke that's constricting. 
uh, with flight control because the wad does it for you. And if you constrict the wad too much, then it'll start to misshape the wad and then change the flight. So uh, duck hunting loads like the black cloud stuff that uh, that will shoot or turkey loads like the you know tungsten TSS, those have that same flight control wad in them so that you can shoot a turkey in the face at 50 yards. You know, like the, they, okay. they hold together uh, that whole pattern. And so when you're talking about Alpha Charlie scoring on a target with buckshot, it's like, well, I want that. Like it's going to hold the pattern together. Uh, yeah, it's one shot. As, you know, you're, <laughs> yeah, it's one shot. You know, I mean, they're you know they're within a baseball. At, you know, at 20 yards, uh, like they're they're that's what you want. Um, but no, you know, they're not allowed. But that those that technology is is absolutely fantastic in a shotgun for mostly for hunting applications or defensive uh, applications. But for the games, you know, most of the games don't allow it, which bums me out a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's jealousy that they're not America. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. I mean, I get it. <laughs> Especially in France. They're like, Ugh, something else we have to surrender to. <laughs> France just wants to give up. So it's all good. Yeah, we're like, oh, okay, we're sorry for this. Uh, Parlez-vous français? Yeah, here's some cheese and a croissant. I actually, you know, it's funny. I had a, uh, I'm a paramedic, Josh, and I, and, and I, I'm the oldest guy on this podcast at the moment. So it's been a very long time since I was in high school when I took French, and uh, she was from Romania, but she also spoke French. And I was like, huh? And they're like, yeah, we think she speaks French. I'm like, parlez-vous français? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's all I can remember. So <laughs> great, but hold on. Let me get a translator on the phone. At least I know what language. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've heard some horror stories like Max Leo Grandis and Linda Turnbull had to surrender their PCCs in Europe in a stopover. Like somebody has their guns in Europe right now. Yeah. Um, wow. Did you have? Have you had any issues traveling overseas with firearms? No, I haven't. Um, but we had direct flights to where we were going. I think most of those challenges come when you transfer, because uh, you know if I'm going to another country for a match, uh, I'm going to get an invitation, a formal invitation that says. You know, Josh, you're invited to come and compete at this national level event in our country with whatever guns you would normally compete with. So that is kind of like my green ticket to get through and go, hey, look, like your government invited me here or, you you know, I'm invited uh, as a guest. And I understand these guns might not be legal here. Like I get that. But I was invited and they told us we could bring these. And so uh I don't know if I'm lucky or what, but no, so far I've I had no issues. Uh, you know, there are odd, odd rules. France, for instance, we were supposed to be running locked trigger locks or disassemble our guns. And I learned that, like, with a day left there. So I was driving around with guns that uh, weren't appropriately, you know, like stowed, weren't appropriately locked up. And over there they... They call open division shotguns like tactical shotguns or assault shotguns or something like that. So it was a pretty big deal, actually. I, I, I think 
somebody had compared it to like driving around with a machine gun in the car uh, here in wow. the U.S. Yeah, wow. and I'm like, I don't, it, you know, like you wanted me to disassemble it? I was like, that's weird. It's locked in a case in the back. It's like, well, that's not enough. I'm like, what do you mean? Wow. I, I would say if you do safe. go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah. laughing because you know who's going to take his gun. They probably look at him when he comes through there, and they think he's like, "Oh, he's famous. Can I get your autograph?" <laughs> uh, I don't know what. So they're that. they're like they're like, "Oh, just go on through, go on through." <laughs> <laughs> no, we we got we probably got lucky. Uh, you know, I I will say it makes me nervous. You know, here in the U.S., I've never even been to California because of the gun laws. I'm like, I don't know what they're. Like what's legal and what's yeah, not, and I've got a gun in my pocket or on my hip, you know, like all the time. So I'm going, I'm not really that comfortable. Uh, not, you know, I just, you know, it's like I have my wallet, I have my cell phone, and I have my gun. Uh, pretty comfortable there, and so I, I don't, I don't really go places typically that don't allow me to to carry. And so yeah, it was, it was a little odd, uh, you know, heading over there. Couldn't even have a pocket I knife on you. Yeah, I I live in Virginia and I refuse to go north. We'll go above the Mason Dixon line. I can go I can go left towards the left coast or I can go south. That's all I can do. Okay. Yeah, my in laws blame me for not visiting them in New York. They tell my wife all the time, I'm like, ah, I can't have a gun, I feel naked. Yep. I think that's fair. Yeah. Now let's let's go back to um, carbine for a minute. Yeah. So, how much carbine? Now, do you ever shoot carbine on its own, like a standalone yeah. carbine match? Yep, yep. I'll shoot rifle matches. Uh, most of those will be AR-15 inside of 300 yards. You know, they'll just be like race carbine, like USPSA style, except maybe a couple long-range uh, targets on the end of a stage, or in the middle of a stage, you'll have a barricade where you got to shoot out. Uh, you know, Nevesky used to put some matches on like that, the Nevesky Carbine series. Those were super cool. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be more of that going on. The just everybody's got an AR. You know, everybody's got an AR or a yeah. gun like that. And you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And guys want to <laughs> use them. You know, uh, even even folks outside of the competition space, they watch what we do and they're like, "Well, I, I have that gun. Like, I've got one of those." And so I think that's going to become a more popular thing. The, the traditional centerfire rifle, uh, mid, close to mid-range rifle work matches, and we're even seeing it with the AK stuff, you know. So I shoot a Galil uh, in the AK matches, and those are mostly within 150 yards, and they're just, you know, we get three, four, five hundred guys out that want to just shoot their AKs. And, you know, it's it's extremely popular these events are huge and well attended and it's just folks that have guns that don't normally compete at a lot of matches but want to come out and use them and i think carbine matches open some of that up i feel like the um the steel for those matches could be expensive <laughs> nah beyond 50 yeah. yards you're golden everything up close has got to be uh, paper yeah Okay, so so there's no issue with marking or you know like pock marking or penetration through the steel at sixty yards. Yeah, okay. no, I mean here, here at my range, I shoot them at you know thirty. I, I do damage that steel a little bit. I beat on it pretty hard, 
But, uh, you know, if I were running a match and there was my steel, and I just wouldn't have steel inside of 50 yards, at 50, golden, I'd put in plate racks at 50, uh, whatever, it's fine. As long as it's hardened AR steel from a good manufacturer, uh, and you're running 223 without green tips, you know, without uh, steel core uh, right. on it, you'll be good. The one other exception some of the ranges may put is no projectile smaller than 55 grain because 55 grain is a very common AR round, but you get yeah. into those like 45 grain and 50 grain varmint loads that are running 3,200 foot per second, and those might just do a little damage uh, even at 50 yards. So I think they could put some protections in place if they needed to, if to protect some targetry. But for the most part, lots of those matches are running stuff at 50, 100, 150 yards, even big steel, you know, like big, you know, full-size Ipsix at 150. It's not hard to hit if you have all day. It's just hard to hit yeah. when you want to go real fast, you know. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's it's a fun application. I hope, I hope to see more of that. So I assume then you're like your hat, you're wearing your AR is wearing a vortex. Yeah, all of them are. All my guns. Yeah. Oh, and what do you? Cool company. What are you running on there? Yeah. That's so cool. on my on my traditional AR-15 rifles, on my hog and coyote guns and stuff like that too. I run the Gen 3 Razor, uh, the one to ten. Okay first focal plane scope with daylight illumination so it's super super nice and then on all uh, shotguns pistols and on pccs i run the 6 moa razor or viper dots on all of that stuff um and a traditional reflex optic and uh I'm just it's the same on all the guns so i have the same sight picture on all the guns uh which is is nice because uh, again, you get to shoot on instinct versus having all these different types of optics with different reticles and funny business. I just try to simplify it. One six MOA dot on everything to keep it easy. Okay. All right. Now I have a question for you. Okay. Um, I spent four years in the military training people to hunt man. Okay. Um, fixed power scope. And to be, I, I've always wondered I'm, I'm, I've actually learned that I'm not a first focal plane fan. Okay. And I'm going to, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I shoot carry optics in USPSA and I have found that if I make the dot bright, I'll focus on the dot and not the sure. Plane. And yeah. what I have found is with scopes, if I have a first focal plane scope and I'm zooming in, I'm going to a a larger zoom, then it magnifies the reticle as well as the image. And I I don't like the reticle being bigger because I have learned, I am much more of an expert with a rifle reticle than I am a pistol dot. Uh, So I end up finding that it gets in my way and interferes with what I'm supposed to do, which is focusing on my target and not my reticle. Your thoughts. I originally liked the second focal plane a lot. That was a consistent reticle size. Um, Only in one application. The only time I don't like first focal plane now that I'm used to it is between one and a half power and three power. 
when uh, it's the reticle is not there yet. Because if you have a first focal plane optic that has an appropriate reticle for the distance shooting that we're doing, you can't even see it at 1x. You just got a dot in the middle. Um, and so then it's just a red dot basically on 1x like these scopes are. But then you have nothing, uh, it, well, I shouldn't say nothing. It, then it grows, like you say, as you magnify. And so if I'm shooting a plate rack mm -hmm. at 50 yards, I still don't have much there to focus on in the dot if I have the dot off. Um, I, I really like it from a simplification standpoint so that uh, if I'm on three power or six power or eight power, the hash marks mean the same thing in the scope. Right. Um, where before, on, I would run second focal plane Razor 1 to 6s, the Gen 2s, and then I needed to know my rifle dope for 3 power, 5 power, and 6 power. That's what I used all the time. And so I had three different sets of rifle dope that I had to memorize. And then before the stage, I'd have to lock into my brain. I'd be like, third power, third power holds, third power holds, you know, because it was just different. And if I shot the wrong hold, I'd miss all the targets. And so it's less thinking, first focal plane. With a little adjustment, it allows me to shoot much faster and more consistent. And I just needed reps on it. That was for me. Okay. Now, you like the illuminated reticle? Yeah, I love it. Uh, and, again, I only run it, uh, the illuminated reticle, on pretty close stages. So, like, I don't want much illumination or any when I'm shooting five or 600 yards because I want a precise etch. I want the precise reticle in the, in the scope. But if I'm on two power or something like that, I want to make that thing a red dot because I'm shooting at probably 50 to 75 yards at that point. And so, like, I want... I want it. I want it on. I want it just like a pistol dot would be if you were shooting at a 50-yard target. With that, you know, I just want to look at the target, float the dot over it, and fire. Um, so I like the illumination for that. So every stage, depending on the target, with the with the 223, the AR, I'm making decisions on how bright if I want it on. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of pre-planning on the illumination. So I don't like it for everything, but I like it a lot. When I do okay. <laughs> okay. Now, have you ever have you ever used it while you were hunting? Absolutely, all the time. Yeah. Really? So I run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I run especially in low light. So I just run it on the lowest site. You know, that last five minutes or the first five minutes of the day, where you're looking through the scope and you're like, ah, is that my reticle or a twig? Like, yeah, it's nice to have a little illumination there to just okay. break uh, break that up when you're in the woods. Uh, so I've run uh, I've run that same thing on uh, on my predator hunting guns, and my bear gun as well, because most of those shots on the black bear are right at last light. And so I've got uh, one to ten on that gun with illumination, and I'll just turn on the lowest setting, uh, and that helps a little bit. All right, cool. Is there anything you don't hunt in Minnesota? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I hunt or trap all the things that they say we can. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. For and, the podcast, uh, everything they say we can. Yeah, well, I mean, that's real because <laughs> I have to, you know, we, we're trappers. I, I actually love trapping. Uh, it, I got into it a couple of years ago. And uh, I run footholds and snares and all kinds of stuff all over here in the woods. Sometimes I've got 50, 60 traps out there. And uh, we caught a timber wolf here about three weeks ago. 
and in Minnesota, you got to let those go. And so I had a, you got an eight foot long catch pole, like uh, guys, uh, the dog pound have, and they go put it around yeah. the snake's neck. Yeah, I had to get a timber wolf uh, with one of those things because you got to let it go. It's your job. You're the trapper. You're responsible for right. letting it go safely. So get that thing over its head, drive it down into the dirt, get my neighbor to get over there and pry the foothold off. And then you're wrestling a wolf at that point because it's not helping yeah. the ground at all. And it's sitting there fighting. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I hope your grip strength is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're six feet away from a, from a wolf that would love to bite your head off. So, yeah, we just had that that experience a few weeks back, which was uh, first of a kind for me. <laughs> I haven't dealt with wow. that before. Now, yeah, how kind of how big do you estimate that wolf to have been? It wasn't that big. It was about 100 pounds. Uh, you know, they oh, get okay. they get a lot bigger than that out here. So I, I, I probably lucky. I got myself a nice young three or four year old timber wolf for the first one, but we've got a couple of lone wolves that run out here. I got a trail cam picks and stuff of them. I would guess they're probably closer to 150. Um, I mean, if I put my hand down over their track, uh, their track is about an inch outside of my fist. And again, I'm not a little dude. So, like, no. these are giant canines. These are big old wolves that don't need a pack to hunt. They get it themselves. And, they're you know, they're running around through the back timber out here. Um, the day I catch one of those, I might need more than just one neighbor uh, to get that thing off. I don't know. We'll see. That's, that's uh, Game of Thrones dire wolf type situation <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, call, you know, I, I got a good relationship with the DNR. Because I'm a trapper, you catch stuff you're not supposed to, and you just call them up and you let them know. And um, so I call him up. I'm like, "So got a timber wolf on a foothold out here?" And he goes, "You do." He goes, "You're gonna have a fun night." I was like, "Oh, really? You're not gonna help?" He's like, "No." He goes, "He goes, do me a favor. Don't call me back later and tell me you had to shoot it." And I was like, "Well, I won't shoot it if I don't have to. But if I do have to, I'm putting one right in that thing's head." And he goes, well, yeah, of course. He goes, do what you got to do to stay safe. You know, if it comes at you after you let it go, you got to shoot it. Sure. You know, so I had a buddy there with a shotgun waiting with buckshot just in case. But I'm like, he's laughing. He's like, oh, yeah, I knew it was coming. He goes, I know you got traps all over out there. So, uh, yeah, we're wrestling wolves up here in Minnesota. And that's why he was good at MMA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was about like stepping into a cage, putting that thing around its neck. Yeah. Know, holy cow. Now, yeah, when, you let, wanna, when, like, when you let when you let it off yeah, the lasso, it's like did... the chicken with rocket. Yeah. Yeah, it was gone. It was. It wanted no part of that. I mean, okay. the best advice I got. I got good buddies that have been trapping for ten, fifteen years up here. That that kind of helped me out as I was learning what I was getting into. So I just called one of them up. I was like, all right, I got a timber wolf. Uh, what should I do? And he's like, well, talk calmly and sternly to it. Uh, just like you're the boss. No scared business. He goes, don't be a pussy. Uh, and he goes, get right up there. And as soon as you get that thing around its neck, don't be mean to it. Don't hurt it. But you drive that thing right down in the dirt and you hold it there. And don't like you are the boss. Either it thinks you are the boss or it thinks that as soon as they're done, it's going to get you. And so, like, uh, we just – I didn't let it – I didn't let it do a thing, you know. When it would wrestle, fight a little bit, I'd give it a little twist, you know, hold it tighter, 
so that the thing couldn't do much. You know, it, it was it's like a real big dog. Like, you know, you're capable of being the boss over that thing. And so yeah. that's how I treated it. Took fear out of the equation. I mean, my adrenaline was going pretty good. But uh, once I got it uh, off and released, you know, I got a real nice catch pole with a spring release. So when you pull it, it kind of pops all the tension off versus like, you know, uh, just being a rope that's tied just around the neck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was pulling it toward me. You know, that was the advice I got. Pull it toward you as you pop that thing. So it's going to be pulling away. And so as soon as it got off, it mm. backed up like three or four feet immediately. And then uh, they respect a pack because they know all about pack life. So I had like three dudes, a snowmobile, a UTV with headlights on it. Like we're all just, you know, standing right there. So it can either come at that or it can run up the hill and get out of there. And uh, I'm pretty excited that it ran up the hill and got out of there. <laughs> yeah. Established yeah. dominance. <laughs> yeah. Could have been a bad day. Yeah. I mean, I, I live with three great Danes, so I understand it completely. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, those, those things, if they, uh, if they snapped, you know, I mean, obviously there are pets and they're much more tame, but still when it comes right down to it, if they think their life is on the line, you know, that's a big animal. Yeah, and you've got to establish dominance so they know who the boss is. Yep. Same type of thing. Yeah. yeah, without peeing on them. Yep. I did the, first time, <laughs> the first time I had a, I had a pit bull mix, and he snapped at me one time, and I pinned him on the ground, and I bit his ear, and I never did that again. <laughs> it was really weird. I'm like, I went. But you're going to tell us if you peed on him, show him dominance. I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, she wouldn't let me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been fine either way, I think. But anyway. So I, I have a question. I have a question. Since you, you know, being a Minnesotan that you are, so uh, being that it's cold and everything like that, so did you go ice fishing this year? I haven't. Uh, I haven't really left the farm. So I, uh, all of my buddies do. Um, we, we don't, we have ponds here on the farm. And so I've been, you know, like I, I trap like beaver and otter and mink and all that stuff out of the water here, but we don't have any fish. And I, I literally like, we've got a 210 acre farm here and I got, I put gates up and like, we don't leave. Like this is, I, I work here at my desk, uh, for my day job. And then, uh, I'm working around the farm and I, I really, my wife leaves and gets groceries, brings the kids to school, stuff like that. But, man, I'm here like five months, uh, and I try not to leave the farm you know, during the off season. I love it. So I like to ice fish. I don't know anything about it. That's probably the biggest thing. One, I don't want to leave. But two, I don't know anything about it, and uh, I like being good at things. You know, like once you, once you, you get into something, you get, you know, you develop the skills to be successful at it. And so, like, if I went out and went ice fishing today, I probably wouldn't catch anything, and I'd hate it. So, like, I've got to get mentored, I guess, in the in the ways of ice fishing. But we, we certainly spend plenty of time on the ice. You know, I'm running my snowmobile across it, running a chainsaw, cutting holes in it to trap beaver and do all that. You're, hold on, Chris. Say it again, Chris. Sorry about that. Uh, I was going to say it's uh, funny because my ex is from there. And so when I first went up there, they were like, hey, let's go ice fishing. I'm like, uh, you have to put a hut 
on ice and then put a heater inside. I'm like, yeah. don't you understand heat, ice, weight? Don't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's common. We get we have cities out here on, on the lakes. It's wild. Yeah. In fairness, Huggy and I used to so we're much like Dave, we're paramedics and all been firefighters at one point or another. Huggy and I used to be assigned to a ladder truck together. And <laughs> I don't know if you tell, we are we take up a lot of the screen. And they put us on the roof <laughs> of a house that was on fire. The two like they were like, Yeah, go. And I was new to the truck, and I look at him, and he's like, all right, we're going. And I'm like, this is a bad idea. And they're like, no, go ahead. And, again, the house is is on fire. And they're like, you two, go to the roof. And we stood on the roof, and I'm like, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> and so on a roof that's on fire, you're not going to catch any fish for real. At least nice fish might. True. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, and the funny part is, is that everybody stood at the bottom looking up at us. Two biggest they guys. They stopped fighting fire. They stopped what they were yeah. doing. They're like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> right. And, he, and, and it's funny because Leo is looking at me. He's like, Huggy, this is a bad idea. And I'm like, yeah, but we're here. <laughs> you know, there's nothing it's we can do now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, you guys, so my understanding is with ice fishing, like, they have the hut. Like, everybody, whoever goes ice fishing, they have their own hut. They take it out. Yep. But then they're also responsible to, to take it off the ice and off the, the lake at the end of the season, right? So yeah. So where sure. do those things live the rest of the year? In your yard. I mean, yeah. Don't yeah, you, you don't have an ice house in the yard? Like, that's where you put <laughs> guests that you don't want in the house. You just put them in the ice shack. Yeah. Yeah. That's like there you mother in law. Put them in the house that smells like fish. It's the ensuite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's that smell like? Fish and failure. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I ask about the hunting and trapping and all that because, I mean, there's a, there's a, you put a lot of stuff on your, like Instagram with yeah. trapping. I mean, I, I see the traps. I actually, um, you know, taught my guns out on my sons, how to shoot gun safety, all of that. Our local Isaac Walton even had a trapping class. So me and my sons went, did that. Cool. I went and yeah, I went and did a, um, like a hunter safety class with one of my, my oldest son, you know, just a bunch of stuff like that. And, um, I was looking at some of your stuff and I was like, wow, he, he's caught raccoon, a beaver, uh, a fox. Um, so you, you trap all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you name it. If it lives here and there's a season for it, we chase it. You know, I I just, I, I like being out there. I like being active. And I actually, you know, that's one of the things that it's like a lost art. You know, like people don't, participate because the fur value is so low so unless you like truly enjoy it for some reason like it's a hobby of yours you're not out there chasing this stuff and so the numbers are super high and we're managing a farm here that like for instance i i need to have good waterfowl numbers because i'm going to have four or five guests uh up um that are you know 
for, for one reason or another, uh, out for waterfowl fowl opener to have great hunts. Well, uh, nobody manages the raccoon population, so those things crush all the nests and the eggs and everything. Mm. Fox is the same way. Skunk is the same way. And nobody's trapped them in 10 years. And so it's like, well, like they're, the populations are all screwed up because nobody's managed uh, these populations of the little predators. Even their deer fawning, you know, we got to take so many coyotes out of here, our deer numbers won't be where they need to be. And so as we're looking at, okay, how do I improve the hunting and habitat on the farm? You know, that's where the original motivation to start trapping was. And it's like, well, I don't, it was actually beaver because I had a bunch of beaver damage on the sides of one of my 16-acre ponds. And I was like, well, I called a buddy who traps. I'm like, could you come over and trap these? He goes, no, but I would teach you to, and I'll come over and teach you to, and I think you'll like it. And I was like, okay, sure. And that's where it started. And I was like, well, everything's out of whack because nobody's trapped anything forever. So that's where we got into it. And so now, yeah, we chase predators through the winter, nest raiders, stuff that kills turkeys and waterfowl and uh, baby deer. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, again, I, I don't try to eliminate them. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to balance out. You're just controlling the population. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, literally the, the definition that. of conservation. It's conservation yeah. and stewardship of the resource. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then bonus, like, guess what? My little kid loves hanging out with me. My nine-year-old daughter comes out on the snowmobile for our trap and runs. We're making, you know, crazy big old, like, uh, old school fur hats and mittens and like earmuffs and we're making, you know, the fur is worthless to, to like to sell. So like we're making beautiful stuff for our family with it. I make gifts for friends and family and, you know, like, so we have this, I can, you know, I can give a gift for Christmas that's like, yeah, we trapped that here. Uh, that was one of the first beavers we caught in 2020 and people be like, well, this is beautiful. Like, this is amazing fur. So I know, and it's from right here at our farm. You know, it's it's just cooler than buying them something. We give them, you know, and not all of it looks like mountain man stuff. Like, we've got, you know, beautiful little earmuffs for the girls that are, like, dyed and, and they're plucked and, like, sheared uh, fur. So it's, it's it's beautiful stuff where you'd think, like, you know, that is high-end high end gear. It's like, no, no, I actually killed that, like, right over there. <laughs> yeah. What's this and, hole right here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then right, guys, we have a dog about... can have for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, actually, we actually eat most of it, too. I, I get a kick out of it. Uh, you know, we try almost everything. I didn't try the skunk, but uh, we, we try pretty much everything. And, uh, you know, like barbecue raccoon is solid that's that's something like it's worth eating uh it's a good meal uh, beaver is one of the best meats that it's as good as whitetail as far as i'm concerned uh and, wow. you know, there's it, it's amazing what you know this wild it's wild game it's stuff we used to eat as people but now we eat hot dogs it's like no like all the critters are here for us like you know yeah. we, we can harvest them you're so, eating yeah. healthier than anybody yeah, uh, so powers right there come from. Mink is the one that's <laughs> gland that smells funny. Uh-huh. Like mink, <laughs> like you said, like doesn't that have that gland in it that they use? Oh, for, yeah. like, don't you guys use that for trapping? I've yeah. watched yeah. them like Vermont state or the you know the outdoor police in Maine and whatnot. Game wardens. Yeah, them. Yeah, those guys. 
you know, DNR, you know, those guys. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, the outside cops. The outside cops. <laughs> outside cops, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the tree cops, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I know things. How did you kill the skunk without it releasing everything? Uh, yeah, so if you hit them in the spine or the head, they'll they'll spray. Um, but if you double lung them, uh, I, here's how I was taught from old school trappers. So uh, they said basically a skunk pushes out that stink almost like if you think about like how they would fart. So kind of nasty. But so if they don't have any wind and they can't like like blow that stuff out, they can't do it. And so you double lung them with a 22 from like 30 yards away uh, and make sure you're not downwind just in case because they still go off every couple times. But I just, I, I'll be back about 25 yards and pop. Just, that's it. Done deal. And uh, it, they're actually beautiful little critters if they don't spray. I, won't, you know, I have a gas mask. I got a gas mask just for when I do hit them uh, and they do spray. Because <laughs> you still got to get them off the trap. Like You got to go yes. handle them. I yes, got, you I do. That's why I was gloves. asking. Yeah. 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 I got rubber gloves and military grade gas mask for when uh, skunk spray. Which one's worse, Timberwolf or skunk? Oh, skunk for sure. I'd deal with a wolf every day if I don't have to deal with those skunks. Those things are nasty. Ugh. My my Great Danes got into a skunk. I've got I, my <laughs> the biggest one that I have is has a very high prey drive. And okay. if he sees another animal smaller than him, he is after it. And um, he took off. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world is he doing? So I have a collar on him. And I'm hitting the collar and calling him back. And finally, he comes running towards me and his head shaking. And I swear there's an electrical fire somewhere. I'm smelling burnt <laughs> wire. I'm like, what in the world? And he's like spitting. I've never seen a dog spitting before. And come to find out, he got sprayed right here. Oh. In the mouth and in the face. And he was trying to spit that. Yeah, it was really bad. But it literally <laughs> it did not smell like the smell, you, you know, when you run a skunk over, it did not yeah. smell like that at all. It smelled like an electrical fire. I'm like, what in the, I've never smelled that before. And then the other two knuckleheads got into it. Oh, uh, oh my God. So for six weeks, yep. we did everything we could, but it just takes time for that nastiness to wear out. Oh, yeah, so I, I, I actually trapped several skunks out here, but I use the uh, Kodiak traps. And uh, so when they go in, it just snaps right on them and done. So, but like you said, if it doesn't, if you don't get them a certain way, if they don't go through the trap a certain way and it collapses on them then they'll push out that their defense system and it's like oh well <laughs> I, and, and like you oh. said i gotta i gotta get it out of the trap so i'm like oh, yeah. okay you know you just got to establish dominance just pee on it you'll be fine <laughs> I that's another nature nature versus nurture nature always wins uh, <laughs> okay, Josh, I want to see you do that next time. Nope. <laughs> Maybe don't put that I'm one on Instagram. Not getting that close. Yeah. You, you can put it on your OnlyFans. 
right. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be uncomfortable. Here's a question for you. Being out there, um, so is it a skidoo or is it a snowmobile? Uh, yeah, so, it, well, it depends who you ask. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a snow machine is, is what uh, we call it. Uh, yeah. So, if you, if you watch New Hampshire Outdoor Cops, you know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, snow machine. Okay. Well, I was wait- I was waiting for you to throw out Articat, so I figured you just say, "Nope, it's an Articat." So, yeah, that's the double track thing with the. Come on, man, just Josh. I'm sorry. No, no Josh can Josh can tell you Articats also snowmobiles. They make snowmobiles. Yep. They do. They do. So it's thank you. It's because he's a good person. So and and then. <laughs> Here's another here's another question for you, being that you're from Minnesota and everything like that. What is your favorite? Because I know Minnesotans they love hot dishes. Oh, so yeah. what's your huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what we grew up on. Yeah, so, so, so what's your favorite hot dish? Uh tater tot. Tater tot hot dish, man. Yeah, I knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah, you get fired up when that's on the on the menu. <laughs> Yep. Okay, what is a tater tot hot dish? Tater tot hot dish is uh, basically you mix like meat and veggies, stuff like that in the bottom of the pan. And then on the top, you throw a whole row of tater tots and you chuck that in the oven and then it kind of all blends. So it's like if you imagine like cutting a brownie, like you take a square of it almost. Uh, Maybe it's not quite that consistent, but it's you you mix in tater tots with, with meat and veggies. We like to mix all our stuff together, like in one pan. That's how we cook. Yeah. Okay. So it's so, basically it's, it's like a shepherd's pie, but you're just using tater tots instead. Now, do you guys eat poutine? <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's Canadian, but I figured you guys are close enough. You know, oh, no. Like kiss no, cousins. No. <laughs> okay, just check no. I'm still it's in America. It's on fries. Still you know how they like put brown gravy on French fries? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I don't do that. No, that's not American. Well, I tell so you, this you. is where the fur trapping comes from. Is the French Canadians? They come down and they teach them to, <laughs> you know, put the trap on the outside police. Maybe. I tell you, I tell you a funny story about about Minnesota with me is that when my ex wife she lived she's from a place called Hoffman, Minnesota which is outside Alexandria. And uh, so the first time I went up there, because she was also teaching up in Thief River Falls. So I was flying up there and I got to Minnesota, got on another plane and I took off. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's the neatest thing is when you take off from the Twin Cities going up north, the lights go out. Like once you get out of the city, there's no lights. (laughs) And I'm I'm sitting there going like, man, it is really dark out here. I'm like, you know, you... And there's only like five people on the plane. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I get on the right flight, you know? Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I see this landing at this place. And I, as it was coming in, I'm like, what does that say on top of that building? Does it say Bahabaji? What the, what's a Bahabaji? <laughs> Not knowing that it's Bemidji. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bemidji. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't know it was Bemidji. <laughs> I called it Bahavaji. I, like, I thought it went to another country. <laughs> you have a, a beer, like a brewery there? I don't know. I just know that we landed. Like two people got off the plane, and this dude came out there with a lawn, like a lawn tractor, and took their luggage off and drove it back into the little <laughs> building. <laughs> like, okay, I have gone into the twilight zone. I'm going to die. <laughs> You'd be all right. It's remote, but uh, we we like it like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Land, I landed up in Thief River Falls. I went up there, and I remember getting in the car with her, and we were driving down the road. And I saw this thing as we were going by, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" She said, "A moose." I'm like, "Get the hell out of here!" <laughs> so, literally, I had to turn the car around and go back because I wanted to see a live moose on the side of the road. <laughs> you know, it's like, how many times do you get to see that? So, how do you miss them? It's like the size of a small car. Oh, oh yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're big. You don't want to hit one. That's what I was told. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, Josh, was it a was it a milder winter than normal up there? Uh, it was before this week. We got about ten inches of snow this week. Uh, okay. Just quit yet last night. So uh, I would say pretty normal. You know, most of the time it's around zero for a few months here, a little, you know, 10 below at night, 15 below at night, and then 10 degrees during the day, something like that. So pretty, pretty normal, kind of hard to train. You know, I, we, I, I have, I'd shoot with a couple of uh, juniors, some good kids that'll come out here and do a little training at the range. And uh, they double as uh, shovelers. We shovel hot, like runways or like the shooting area gets shoveled before we, we practice because uh, there's, I don't know, feet of snow on the range up here. And so, yeah, it's uh, we deal with it, but it's not ideal. It's hard to come into the year sharp in these first March and, and April matches because, uh, you yeah. know, you go out there and your hands freeze right away. Pretty tough. Yeah, having to shoot an early major wouldn't be good. No, I just, you know, I've had to manage my expectations is all it is because I'm going to. I'm going to shoot in March, you know, I'm going to be in down in the Carolinas shooting USPSA multi-gun Nats. And, uh, you know, at that match, my, my goal is to be on the podium. Uh, and mentally I'm still frustrated if I don't win, but like I can, I have this, it's like, no, literally every, the rest of the world gets to like run around and practice and I'm in my basement dry firing. And then I go outside and I shoot a little and come back in with my hands frozen. Like, you know, it's, it's just, it's different. And so I try to temper my expectations, at least for March matches, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. Yeah, I bet. A um, couple things left. You say you shoot AK. I saw that you had shot Red October. How do you like that match? Uh, that match is pretty good. Uh, it uh, I've shot it for a few years. It's different. So if you are traditional USPSA-style shooter, uh, there's a bit of a you know a bit of an adjustment there because they do a couple things that are you know for instance like a no shoot's worth 30 seconds it's a 30 second penalty uh, you know it's not yeah <laughs> like you're out of the match Ooh. I had one no shoot last year and so I took seconds and I won most of the other stages so like because it, it's the time uh, you can't make it it's a 30 second penalty on a 23 second stage 
you know. So you instantly lose like 70 stage points if you get a no shoot. Wow. So there are some things about it that I don't enjoy, but I like uh, most about it. You know, I'd say the bit, my favorite AK event that I shot this year was it was called Kalash Bash Texas, and it had uh, they sold I think 350 match slots and then a thousand spectator slots. People didn't even wow. shoot. Yeah, they didn't even shoot the match. People came out, checked out the match, had camping overnight. It was like a music festival around AKs. And they had camping and music and giant bonfires and dozens and dozens of demo bays where there was live fire. And that's where these all the spectators spent their time. So people were actually at the, the demo bays. Like, you know, you go to USPSA matches and the demo bays are quiet because everybody's focused on their match performance. Here at this match, it was awesome for the demos, for, for the actual manufacturers and sponsors, because it was like, you've got all these people that aren't even in the match. All they want to do is meet you. All they want to do is shoot yeah. your gun. It was really cool. And so I, I don't know if it, so maybe the match itself, uh, you know, it was a smaller match, only like five or six stages. So I think I'd prefer that grew a little bit. But the total shooting experience from an AK match perspective, I thought, the event, like as an event, uh, we could learn some things from that in USPSA and Three Gun. Yeah. Because it's like, man, it, you just they just had a festival with guns at the center of it versus gun match that has a couple people that come that don't shoot. I'm going. That was neat. Right. So Family that's, members. That's right. probably my favorite. Yeah, that's it. You know, we're here. You get done with your stage, and there's 75 people watching that aren't even competing in the match. And they're like, wow, that was awesome. Like, it's like, that's neat. That was a neat experience to have, you know, uh, like a, a spectator group watching the shoot stages. Pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely, that's what I was writing down was the name of it. Thousand spectators. I mean, that's exactly what the USPSA needs to be doing on, at least at nationals. You yeah. Know? It'd be super cool. I mean, I think they could certainly do it. You know, all you have to do is, you know, uh, market it well. You know, obviously that Class Bash Texas has a real focus on marketing to that consumer group uh, of the AK platform guns, right? So they spend a bunch of time there doing that. And then the event is truly marketed as this is a festival. This is a AK festival and there is a match there. Like that's how it's marketed. Um, versus, hey, come to this AK match, uh, and oh, by the way, you can come watch too for a hundred dollars. It's like, no, actually, all those spectators paid to come be part of the festival, and then oh, by the way, they get to see a match and see some high level shooting while they're there. Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just thinking back to like last year at CMP. You know, when when you're you have all these world class shooters there. And they can, you know, you sell tickets, they can come and shoot all these different types of pistols, demo it, meet people, do different things. I mean, that is an experience. It's not yep. a match now. It's an experience. Yep. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, wow. Uh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. That's pretty wild. Yeah, like and it's, it's fun, too. That. I mean, big, big run-and-gun carbine stages. So, you know, and they, you know, anything AK related, guys are shooting machine guns. Guys are out there shooting RPK machine guns in the match oh, just for fun. In the match? Uh, cause they don't, yeah, because they don't care. You know, like they don't care what they, how they finish. 
they're just they came to a festival and they want to shoot the guns that they brought in this event in the match. They don't really care how they finish. Like they just yeah. want to run a belt belt fed machine gun uh, in the match. And so like guys are having fun, you know. It like I had talked to I might shoot next year with a Negev. So I shoot for IWI for their AKs, and he's like, we've got Negev belt fed machine guns if you want to run that for the match you can rambo the whole thing i was like yeah i might do that sounds awesome uh yeah. please make these happen yeah <laughs> I, 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 yeah so i mean just kind of cool it's just i guess it's cool because it's so different than the take it take a match so seriously like every quarter of a second counts so much you get out here and it's just these people just enjoy guns you know, they just enjoy guns and being around it and didn't, they don't even know we have this whole other world where we, where we take it so serious. Okay. That's pretty neat. I've got one more question um, that I've started asking all of the higher level guys, which is last year's nationals when you were shooting, what did your make ready slash visualization look like? Yeah, it's pretty consistent on uh, on every stage. I've been for a couple of years. Um, I go through my basic equipment check, uh, make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. Uh, on you know, as I'm coming up to the line for my belt, get up on the gun, make sure everything is solid on the gun, and then uh, I do. It takes me all of about four or five seconds, but I visualize the whole stage, uh, just short and sweet, eyes closed. I run through where the dot needs to be on the target, what the transition looks like, think about the footwork, think about all of that. And, uh, yeah, about four or five seconds, just a quick pause for mental visualization about what I'm about to do, what it needs to feel like uh, to execute at a high level, and then ready to rock. Okay. Wow. That's quick. That's a quick run, you know, visualization. Yeah, well, part it didn't start there. Uh, part of it is, you know, you know, the guys that have the make ready that everybody on the squad's like, Oh, it's four times longer <laughs> than their stage run. Oh, brutal. Right. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy, but I do need to visualize. Like I found, you know, earlier on in my career, I'd have envisioned, envisioned the targets, like through the walkthrough, I'd be like, this is what I saw and what I'm going to see when I get to the spots. And I've, I found out that's not enough. I, you know, I shoot a red dot gun. If I shot an iron sight gun, it'd be the same thing. I need to see what I need to see on, from the sights on the target, where I want the sights on the target as part of my visualization. I need to have my footwork and my movement uh, be part of that. Um, you know, if I twist my hips real hard and drive off my back leg when I leave this position, I, I need to I need to envision that when I go. Um, you know, I do I do all of that real fast uh, when I'm on the line. I've already done it a hundred times, but when I wasn't on the line and so now it's just like one last run through it, lock it in and then go. Um, and so, yeah, it probably started longer than that, but now I've, I've just, I'm hypersensitive to the super long make ready guys. I can't handle them. So I, I make sure I'm not that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. It's interesting listening to all the different walkthroughs because I asked Jacob Hetherington and John Browning what they do, and they run through it as quickly in their head as they possibly can. Yep. And if they and if they can hit everything 
as quickly as they can in their mind, then they know that it's down pat and ready to go. And then sure. off they go. So I was like, okay. So now I've been asking everybody, what is your, yep. you know, make ready and visualization look like? So cool. You'd love mine. Yep. I just adjust my shirt and I'm like, all right, let's go. Send it. <laughs> In fairness, that's probably why I'm not good. But I get that stuff done quick. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah. They're all still there. Cool. Let's go. Let's go. All right. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I'm gonna uh, around with ready. that's all right. One of the biggest things I get I get conversations with guys that uh, they're like, man, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this. And then how do you do this? And I'm like, you know what? Like, what do you want to get out of this? Because this can be a lot of things for a lot of guys. Uh, do you want a cool hobby uh, where you hang out with your buddies and you get to shoot guns? That's cool. Like, if that's it, don't worry about it. Just make sure you're having fun and don't put the pressure on yourself. And then just do that and make sure it stays that because that's what you got in it for. Uh, if you want to chase titles and do stuff like that, okay. Like, there's an adjustment there that needs to be made, and then that's the focus, and then you take steps to, to chase that thing. And that's not to say that if you're chasing or hanging with your buddies and that's the primary goal, you don't want to pick up a couple of those things because you want to beat your buddies. Like, you know that. Like, that's that's real, right? Uh, and so you still you still want to pick up maybe that edge or those couple of little things. But what I, what I, what I see is that, drives people away from the game after four or five years is where the guys that got into it to have a cool hobby and hang out with their buddies are suddenly now uh, too mentally competitive and frustrated with themselves after match performance. And I'm like, dude, like your primary goal when you got into this thing was to have fun and have the coolest hobby you could think of. Like you get to shoot guns on a Saturday and Sunday in nice weather down in Florida. Like that's, way better than the alternative right and it's yeah. like like what else are you gonna do like just just you know so i i'm always the first thing i talk to guys about when they're like all right how do i improve i'm like well what do you want to get out of the game like what do you want to do like what do you want to get out of it if you want to get out of it uh to just have a cool hobby like leave it there just have fun you can improve a little yeah sure but like make sure you're having fun first and foremost because that's why you do the thing um if your goal, though, yeah, if you've got a different goal, then that changes things. But, like, I always challenge people if they're frustrated, if they're burnt out, if uh, if I can tell that, you know, they're down on themselves over a match, I'm like, man, like, why are you here? Like, why would you get into it? Like, what what was the first original motivation? And, you know, based on that is, you know, how you dig yourself out if you're frustrated. And I'm just like, man, <laughs> this is a cool hobby. So I hope that, like, when I can't perform at the level – uh, that I'm happy with anymore that I can still just have a cool hobby um, because it's it's like the best way you could spend a weekend I mean we go out and we shoot a case of ammo with our buddies like that doesn't suck you know no, like so, so yeah I don't know I mean don't I, I, I always try to coach people on that and just go just make sure you're getting what you wanted out of it you know if that's just to have a good time make sure it's that chicks man there you go. Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a story to tell you. No. Yeah, all, all, all 50 of them that actually participate in the sport. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, you can count them on two hands. Yeah. Yeah. They're all nice to look at, though. So you're welcome, ladies. Thank you for being good at shooting and nice to look at. Uh, there you go. 
it's appreciated for those of us that are definitely in it just for fun. There's no national titles in my future, so <laughs> I'm okay uh, with that. All right. That's all right. You guys have any other questions? What do you got, Huggy? (laughs) Yep, good. You should definitely put on mute. I got you. Can you hear me? Yep, go. I was saying that that, uh, I don't have anything else except for, you know, if you could give me your best, yeah, you betcha. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's not even the big one. The big one uh, that I've seen lately is is uh, yeet yet, yeet yet. Uh, yeah, for dinner, like you come out, like go to everybody's, oh. you know, like yeet yet, yeet yet. And listen, I, I just figured out, I was like, that, what did you just say? Like, did I eat food? Is that what you're asking? I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I can eat again. I like food. Yeah, so you betcha. There's a little of that. Uh, there's some A's close to Canada in the old yeet yet. That's coming yeet out yet. a lot lately. Yeet yet. We got to make it quicker. <laughs> yeet yet. Yuns. Uh, I knew a guy from Minas- uh, from Pennsylvania who always said yuns. I'm like yuns. Is that like you? <laughs> Did you just say you? The two. <laughs> the two yuns. <laughs> Well, well, Josh, that's all I've got. If there's anything you would like to clarify or plug. Sure. Yeah, I think the one thing that we did add this year that I think uh, may add some value, it may be a cool experience for some folks, is our events. So we built a private range. Two years ago, I built a single shooting bay and then long range for myself because I needed to shoot, I needed to practice here on my farm. Uh, on our private range, I needed a place where I didn't have to leave the house and I could just train. Well, that has turned into more than that. And I've added more bays and uh, I've turned this into really, uh, it's one of the nicest ranges that I go to. I mean, we've spent a lot of time and energy on it because what it's used for is not just me practicing anymore, but my vendor partners, my sponsors, uh, the folks I do marketing for end up coming out here and using the facility for product launches and all kinds of things. And so because of that, we've we've built what is really a beautiful facility now. And so at the end of last year, I'm going, well, how do I like, how do I put this to, to better use? Because um, I want to make sure we, we use it, we share it. I like coaching, I like teaching, but I don't want to travel. And so I was like, I'm just going to host some of like, world-class events here and i'm gonna i'm gonna open some of that up to the public and so this year we're hosting five events where i've got a modern carbine event that's full uh a box fed shotgun event that's uh, almost full we're going to do a pcc event uh ak race and ak event and we're going to do a pistol event out here at, at the range and um they're one day events uh with uh I'm bringing in co-instructors like Max is going to come up and do PCC with me. So we'll have, you know, 15 guys on the range, but we'll break up into a couple of different groups and get, uh, keep, you know, small hands-on instruction. So every event that I'm doing, I'm bringing in other world-class, awesome coaches, super cool people that know what they're doing. And uh, then we've got great vendor support too. So like Federal, Vortex, JP Dissident, 
shootsdeal.com, like they've all come in and sponsored the events so that I don't have to rely on the shooter to pay a bunch of money to justify bringing in the instructors and stuff like that because I've got industry support. So we're able to keep costs in line, have ammo available here to sell when you get to the event, have a great facility, world-class training. We've got media crews here uh, over the weekend that'll make you look good. So you'll leave with cool stuff for your social media. Uh, you know, like all the stuff that I do for in the gun industry, I'm like, let's just do that all in like one event. Like awesome media, super cool training and shooting, uh, super cool facility, like all of it. And so, you know, we're going to have doing like 26 attendees per event. So we'll have about 130 people up uh, to Minnesota this year to visit and train with us. And so I'd say if folks are looking for uh, good training opportunities with ammo, loaner guns, those kinds of things available, uh, and they don't mind a little bit of travel, uh, you know, come on up. We're going to be posting these events throughout the year. Uh, I will say they've filled up within about, 36 hours when we launch them, which is awesome. That's super cool. Um, but we want to have more and more folks come out. And so I'd say that'll be a bigger piece moving forward. So if you ever want to come train with us, we'll have awesome stuff going on from uh, like April to September each year uh, at F5. And, uh, you know, they can see any of that on my Instagram or Facebook. I'm going to be launch, launching them there. Or you can just search on Practice Core too. I just push, that's where all the registration stuff is. If you want to find any of the events at F5 training facility. So, so, so big, it won't be on your website. Yeah, it will be eventually. I, that website I haven't done much with in about a year, year and a half. But I'll have uh, F5 tab on that within a couple of weeks. That'll have a uh, basic overview. I got to do a big demo shoot for like a commercial on the range so that I can actually show off like what the range looks like and what the facilities look like, you know, uh, plus we're building some things. So one of the, one of the pieces that's a gap, I, you know, obviously when you live this far out in the sticks is, is uh, room and board. Right. And so there is one motel that's clean. It's, uh, you know, 10 minutes from here, but I decided that I needed to have a facility on farm on property. So we're building a, a nine bedroom, uh, guest lodge here at the facility so that you know each bedroom's got a bunk bed and it'll sleep like 18 uh and it'll be super nice and so you know like long term you can come stay with us you can come shoot with us have a great experience and you know that's that's how the that's what the focus area is going to be the next few years for for me out here at the range so they don't have to stay in a nice house <laughs> You're welcome to. We can get one here for you. It smells like fish. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a suggestion for what you call the lodge. The Yeet Yet Lodge. <laughs> TM. Yeet Yet Lodge. Boom. Yeah. All right. So You're Josh, on a, on a serious on a serious note, if they were if someone was to go to practice score, what would they search for to find one of these events? Yeah, F five. So F5, F5 event center. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, I'm putting them out there. Like I've, I'm, I'm basically, I put one out, I sell it out and then I'll put the next one out. Um, cause oh. I don't want to cannibalize the same folks, uh, and have them not sign up for one because the other one's out. So like once, once my shotgun event fills up here, then I'll be putting out the, that PCC event, which we expect to fill up pretty quick. 
And then that whole AK community, we're going to take advantage of uh, giving them cool opportunities. Because if we get a thousand dudes out to to go to a festival, like, and then they come and watch and didn't even know there was a thing called competition shooting, it can be really easy to get 26 of them to fly up to Minnesota and come race guns with us, you know. Yeah. So, gone. There's a pretty good opportunity to bring some cool folks up here and introduce them to the things we love. Okay. So- yeah. Is that all you guys have? Otherwise, social, social media. Yeah. yeah. Follow anything. I, I'll post everything on, on uh, Instagram or Facebook. So we take a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <Yeah. laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you can tell. I'm not designed to be cold. <laughs> I'm in my house and I'm wearing a sweatshirt with a shirt underneath. And it's it's not like 85, cold. 85 or 90 degrees in June and July. Uh, that is sweltering hot. I keep a dedicated air conditioning area in case people overheat. Yeah, because I'm a Minnesota boy, and that I can't handle. So that would be the time. Come on up midsummer. It would be reasonable. I'll do it for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> in your birthday suit. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> No. You're welcome, Josh. <laughs> Just, this, you know? Man, the people that don't watch this on YouTube are going to be real disappointed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Josh, we That's thank you for coming on. It was a had a great time, great conversation. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Uh, I had a good time as well. And uh, I appreciate you guys letting me drift into my world of trapping and madness. Uh, not all the shooting right. shows probably want to do that, but that's what I do. I'm, I'm who I am. Yeah. That's where I spend time and energy. So that was fun getting to talk with you guys about it. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Well, we hope cool. to have you on again sometime in the future. So we can all talk right. more. Good. Yeah, we'll talk about one of those AK events. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, fellas. Thanks a lot, man. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.